This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, folks. Uh, we've had some technical difficulties. We're going to try to uh, beam Tony in through the uh, phone lines, the magic of technology. Uh, it seems to be better than the technology currently residing in his studio. So we're going to go with this if we can. How are you doing tonight, Tony? Other than now that I'm very annoyed about my studio, um, which is really just a uh, computer. Um, yeah, we'll try to make it work through the phone. Okay, don't tell people that. Don't tell people that it's a very high tech studio, as you can always. Oh, understand. that's right, that's right. It is. It's it's the latest in ball bearings. <laughs> ball bearings, lithium crystals. Ah, uh, so we promised last week that we would talk about critical critical theory, critical race theory, depending on how you want to talk about it. Uh, a couple of listeners sent us in some things to listen to. I got some today. I got a comment today. Uh, we also had some questions from one of our listeners that we are going to attempt to answer. And as you might not be shocked by, Tony's going to do the heavy lifting on this. I'm going to interject with smart and smarmy comments, and he's going to, sorry, snarky comments. He's going to do most of the um, discussion. Wait, I don't don't like that arrangement because I'm supposed to be uh, (laughs) at least an equal sharer of the sarcasm and snarky comments. You can can do your share. I really, I'm rejecting my role as the straight man. (laughs) Well, you're allowed to do that. You just know that a lot of it's going to have to come from your ability to internalize everything you've read and regurgitate it for the audience. So, well, yes, but that would be incredibly boring. So I think we should, <laughs> I think we should say at the outset that first of all, um, you could spend weeks on this topic and I, I make no pretense to being a particular expert on critical race theory. Although I think I probably read more than the average bear about critical race theory. And so I will, as usual, share my thoughts about this. Um, but I mean, this is the kind of thing that there are many, many, many resources, many, many books. If people are interested, we could certainly come up with a compilation of that, but we'll do our best to give sort of a, a high level view of what this is and what its implications are. And in particular, what its implications are, I think for Christians, because this is something that is not only become very prevalent uh, in our culture, but it is making inroads within the Christian church itself. And I think we need to understand what it is that we are adopting when we start using all of this terminology like white fragility and white privilege and structural racism that all comes directly out of critical race theory. So I think we need to have a, a an understanding of what exactly it is that we're talking about. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I want to bring up some of the, the basis for this came from uh, a post that one of our friend wrote. I disagreed with it. We talked about it. We both disagreed with a lot of what he said. And we're really more talking about the intersection of critical race theory and Christianity. I mean, it, as Tony alluded to, it could go, you could weeks of reading on everybody's different approach to this. Uh, but where does it fall on the Christian spectrum? And there are apologists on both sides who will tell you that it totally is part of 
Christianity, and they will tell you that it is not part of Christianity. So uh, when we talk about this, I want people to understand this came to the forefront in early September when President Trump banned this theory from being used uh, for any contractors with the federal government and with the federal government in general. Uh, it's being pushed back. It certainly hasn't been finalized yet, and I think they're trying to run out the clock and hopefully for them, Biden gets elected and they don't have to get rid of it. Uh, it. It is important to understand what when we're talking about this, why it influences how people behave and how they view the rest of the world and, and, and how they view their fellow citizens in the United States. Uh, I don't know what the history, I don't know how far back this goes, Tony. Do you have an idea, time frame, what we're looking at here? How far back? Of what, the theory itself? The theory itself. Yeah, so I think so. You, there's a couple of things that I think people need to understand. So first of all, Chad's question about, you know, how does it relate to Christianity? Well, it is a it is a completely unChristian philosophy. Okay, and that doesn't necessarily mean that something is bad, but fundamentally, any type of critical theory. Okay, and and critical theory can mean a whole bunch of different things. There can be critical legal theory. There's feminist theory, all of this sort of gender studies, grievance studies, post-colonialism, all of this stuff that now dominates and has dominated for quite some time, academia, all is a type of critical theory. And critical theory is basically Marxism. So we'll talk a little about what Marxism is, but essentially you can go all the way back to somebody like Antonio Gramsci, who was essentially, or is at least known as sort of the founder of Italian communism. There's also what's known as, some people may have read about this, the Frankfurt School, which were academics in Germany, basically during World War II, and then fled Hitler and emigrated to the U.S. And it's, again, it's, it is a Marxist concept of how we evaluate society. And one of the things that people will chat, I mean, maybe you can kind of chime in. What would be your man on the street definition of what Marxism is? <laughs> what Marxism is? Uh, <laughs> not to get too deep into it, but basically uh, the workers created everything. Therefore, they should own everything. And therefore... Uh, they should be in charge of everything. And if they're not, then there needs to be a revolution such to the point where they are in charge of everything and they make all the rules and they set all, everybody share. Now, it's not completely, not completely communism, although they are very closely aligned. Um, but it just to me is the common man should be in charge. That's the theory. Uh, but I would say in, in reality, they're still more unequal pigs, as we've alluded to in the past. Am I, am I on the right track for you? Right. Sure. That's so. So let's frame it in more general terms, because that's correct. You know, Marxism is a philosophy. It's a, and we should point out right from the get go that it is a philosophy which is entirely antithetical to Christianity. Completely rejects any notion of religion, and specifically Christianity. And we'll talk about why that is, because by definition, Marxism cannot allow Christianity uh, to exist in terms of being a competing philosophy. And Marxism, as Chad described, is basically a philosophy that, that breaks the world down into different 
classes, groups, and these groups are really binary. Here's what they are. There are the oppressed and there are the oppressors. So as Chad described, the, the fundamental tenets, and by the way, this is one of my pet peeves, it's not tenants, which people write all the time, like I'm a tenant at an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. One of the tenets, T-E-N-E-T-S, of Marxism is that there is a class struggle between, as Chad said, the workers, the proletariat, and those that have power and property, the bourgeois, right? And the way that Marxism frames this struggle is that there is something called this historical dialectic, this inevitable revolution that's going to take place in which the workers are going to overthrow the oppressors and eventually usher in, via this revolution, a utopia where all have everything. But what you need to understand about the Marxist view is a couple of things. Number one, like most theories of this type, it rejects the notion of truth. There is no absolute truth. And in fact, it understands the world only as power struggles between different groups. And the elite groups, the oppressors, are the ones that have the power. They create the structures of power which oppress others. This is one of the essentially philosophical underpinnings of communism. Okay, so we go from – and there's much, much more. Okay, I mean anyone who's an expert on Marxism could go on for days about what it is. But the big thing to remember is that Marxism does not care about individuals. It cares about – groups, tribes that have power or don't have power. And the reason that's important when we talk about Christianity is that Marxism, and by extension, the philosophy of critical theory, means that it doesn't matter what you do as an individual, you are defined by the group that you belong to. So for instance, in Marxism, which underpins the whole notion of communism, if you are among the working class, you are thereby justified. You are good. You are someone who is oppressed and must overthrow those who are oppressing you. Your entire identity, and we've heard about identity politics, has nothing to do with your own virtue, your own morality, your own actions. It is only described and defined by the group to which you belong. By the same token, if you are someone who is a member of an oppressor class, right, the capitalist pigs, as they like to say, then nothing you do as an individual can remove the taint of being an oppressor. Your own actions, your own morality, your own ethics, your own behavior towards others who are allegedly marginalized is irrelevant. You are in a group that oppresses others, and ultimately, the structures Okay, so in America, the structure of capitalism and democracy, in order for the oppressed to be free from their shackles, they must destroy the existing order. It must be torn down because there's nothing good about it. All right. Mm -hmm. So, Chad, any sort of questions about that that come to mind as my very general framework there? Uh, Not so much questions, but restating, in my opinion, that is very antithetical to the American philosophy. Uh, oh, you noticed that, huh? Uh, yeah, I did notice that, and I, I think we—if we—if we, if we, if we asked a man on the street, you know, the Soviet Union versus the United States, well, we're free and they're not. Well, this isn't dramatic. Isn't a whole lot different in that philosophy, 
And I don't think the man on the street really understood communism or understands communism still exists. Uh, but they certainly don't understand Marxism or socialism because we hear Bernie Sanders. He's a democratic socialist. That means a kind uh, bad guy, or is he just less bad, more kind, more bad, less kind? I, I don't know how you define it, but it really is not it's not how America was founded. And I would we'll get into our friend's uh, take on this a little bit later, but it really is not what we aspire to as a country where one group says, in my personal opinion, it's very racist. Is it not? <laughs> well, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, so that's correct. It is. It, th- there is no way to argue that any type of Marxist theory is compatible with the founding of this country in terms of the founding ideals, individualism, right? In fact, as you allude to, it's not even compatible. In fact, it's the opposite of Martin Luther King saying, we judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Actually, the critical race theory view would be the only thing that we use to judge people is the color of their skin. And what that means is, which group do you belong to? Because if you belong to the group with the oppressed skin color, meaning African-Americans, Latinos, the marginalized people, right? You are virtuous. You are justified. Your grievances are all to be believed and accepted. And if your skin color, unfortunately, places you in the oppressor group, and Chad, what color would that be? Well, it'd be the, the darker shade of any, of any race, darker shade. Well, the, but the oppressors, oh, the, the oppressors, ones sorry. that must be overthrown. The, the lighter shade, that, right. would be, uh, that would be the white That's man. That's it. You're white. Yep. The white man. And so notice what's happened here. Critical race theory has simply substituted class struggle, right, the way Marxists envision the world, with race struggle. So instead of having the workers against those who hold the means of production, now you simply have the people with the virtuous skin pigment, which is African-Americans and others, the brown people, as someone like Ta-Nehisi Coates would say, versus the so-called elite ruling white class. And it is the same struggle. One of the other things that we should point out is that there can be no acceptable opposition to this theory of the world. What does that mean? You see this in ideas like white privilege and white fragility, which is if you deny your complicitness with the evil power structure, if you say, for instance, well, I'm not a racist, that is completely irrelevant and is immediately rejected. And in fact, only proves your racism. And the reason for that is because, again, we are not interested in evaluating your actions or your heart or anything else. All we need to look at is you're tainted by your skin. If you're white, you're in the class that oppresses and you must be removed. You must be removed from power so that others can have power. That's, that's essentially what critical race theory says. Um, so again, any, any kind of reaction to that? Well, you can't, you can't be washed clean, to use the Christian vernacular, because you can't get rid of your skin color. 
you can only beg for forgiveness, which you'll never receive because you're still white. It never goes away. That is right. <laughs> that is correct. And so one of the things that we will, we should talk about as it relates to, is this compatible with Christianity is, well, let's think through some of the core concepts we've already discussed. Christianity does not defy a divide people into groups based on anything other than you either have a relationship with Jesus Christ or you do not. You are in Christ or you are not. Okay. Christianity holds that all of us are created in the image of God. All of us are fallen sinners. All of us needed redemption by the sacrificial act of Jesus becoming a man while also fully God and allowing himself to die on the cross, which allowed us to have a relationship with God, which was permanently uh, forbidden to us in our sinful state, right? That's the gospel. Jesus came here, died for us so that we would not be forever and eternally alienated from God. He was the sacrifice. He paid the price for our sin so that we could have that eternal relationship again. Now, if you're somebody who's a critical race theorist, first of all, one of the things that you just pointed out, Chad, is, well, that sin that was washed away by Jesus's blood, your sin, number one, has nothing to do with being a fallen individual, because guess what? Critical race theory basically says that those who fall into the oppressed groups, they're not really sinners. So number one, that's a problem because it divides people and says certain people are essentially sanctified by virtue of their skin color and others are not. The second thing is that it says the people, the whites who are in the power groups, your skin color can never be forgiven. The sin of your skin color is, is an eternal permanent stain that, as you said, you can continue to ask for forgiveness and beg for uh, mercy and wash people's feet and be filled with guilt all day long. But the next day that you get up, you are still carrying around the same sin of your skin pigment. Those ideas are incredibly incompatible with a Christian worldview. Right. I, I would I would state that those are incredibly incompatible with what we're told to believe at this point, which is you shouldn't judge somebody based on the color of their skin. So what you're telling me is I can be judged on the color of my skin because historically my skin color may have oppressed your skin color, even though I didn't oppress you and you weren't oppressed by me. Correct. That's right. Oh, that That's right. And sense. and again, all of those all of those considerations which within let's just say the Judeo-Christian tradition or within the western tradition mm-hmm. of personal responsibility, moral agency of the individual, okay? All of those things are completely erased. As you said, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter whether you have sinned against your neighbor. It doesn't matter whether they have sinned against you. All that matters is what group do you belong to? And if you are in the wrong group, that's all we need to know about you. And so notice this as well. I would think that most people would say, well, BLM, Black Lives Matter, all of these groups, right? And of course, BLM is full on. This is what it's about. It's critical race theory. 
they're fighting racism, right? I mean, I think that you ask the man on the street, well, what is BLM doing? Well, they're, they're fighting racism. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, critical race theory doesn't much care about racism per se. It nor does it care about justice, nor does it care about truth, because again, truth is merely a construct created by those in power. And so it is an infinitely malleable based on those who are in the ruling class. And truth is meaningless. Justice is really meaningless because the only conception of justice has nothing to do with individualized justice. It only has to do with overthrowing the system. And once the system is gone, then we can have, we usher in utopia. And as we've observed down through history, Let's just say that the Marxist experiments in utopia have generally gone badly, wouldn't you say? <laughs> well, I, I, I harken back to the old phrase, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And I would look at the historical – now, to, to be fair, we use an AOC or we use somebody else like that. They will tell you that it wasn't done correctly. That's why it failed. But I would contend yes, it's never it was been, done correctly. It's never been properly implemented. Correct. It's been properly in, implemented. It's just flawed on its... We go back to the Churchill quote. Democracy is the worst form of government except for all the other ones. So is democracy perfect? Not by a long shot. But everything else that man has tried has been an utter and abject failure in any way, shape, and form you want to measure it. So, yes, the, the, did the Soviet Union collapse because the workers were treated equally and well? I don't believe that's what the, the history books will write, even though you might want to say that. So I'm questioning, just listening to what you're talking about and being this uneducated boob here, I can't imagine why anybody thinks that this is anything more than a power grab by people who claim they were out of power who want to get power. Am I wrong? No, that's that's absolutely right. And one of the one of the implications of you know you look at uh, you look at the left, okay, the political left, and you say to yourself, well, why is it? What is the what is the underlying reason that every time? First of all, what is the reason that these people are so authoritarian? Now, what you'll typically read in the media, of course, is what that authoritarianism, fascism. That is all supposedly a right wing phenomenon, yes, right? The yes. only thing the media ever the only thing the media ever equates with those terms is in in, mo- in the modern world is it's it's white power, it's the KKK, right? It's the alt right, and in fact, certainly some of those groups, those fringe right wing groups, those extremists, they are totalitarian. Mm-hmm. But what is very apparent in the world in which we live today and is very apparent in sort of the roots of Marxist thought is all of this theory is inherently and by definition authoritarian, because here's the thing, the people that oppose the people that have the temerity to say, gee, um, your plan here for making everyone better, you know, this dialectic that you have going on, it seems like there's just as much evil. And in fact, 
there's still a whole bunch of people being oppressed. It's just not maybe the same people. Mm-hmm. Those, those people are, what were they considered in Stalin's time? Right. Yeah. Those were, those were the wreckers. Those were the people that what eventually had to be eliminated because yep. if you're going to create utopia, you can't have people standing in your way. Those people are going to have to be removed. And so this is why we see this pattern playing out in every society that has been truly communist. Just look around the world. Mm-hmm. Communist Soviet Union, of course. Um, Stalin, I think, by a rough estimate, based not only on just state-sanctioned murder, but of course uh, the, the, the famine that was imposed. I mean, you're looking at probably 20 to 30 million people, maybe more, dead. You look at communist China under Mao. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Stalin was a piker compared to Mao. (laughs) Uh, Mao's, I mean, by some estimates, Mao is up near 100 million people. 80, 90, 100 million people slaughtered under that regime. And you go down the list. Cuba, Cuba, North Korea, Paul Pot, all, all of this, okay? Yeah. And people wonder why people wonder why, um, you know, what's wrong with communism, right? It's just, you know, it's about, it's about giving people bread uh-huh. from each, according to his ability to each, according to his need. That sounds great. Sure. Yeah. No, That's no, it, it winds up, it winds up with mass graves. Now in America, we're not dealing with full bore, hard totalitarian communism, But as you and I have talked about, and as we see every day in our streets today, and as we see in the halls of academia, as people are basically witch hunted for crime think, um, the authoritarian tendency has been unleashed. If you harbor ideas that are contrary to the scriptures of critical race theory, you will be silenced, you will be ostracized, and you will be, in many cases, destroyed in terms of you will lose your job, you will be publicly demonized, you will be slandered as a racist or a sexist or some kind of ist. And this is what we see increasingly going on basically everywhere where the left holds political power. And they may very soon hold political power at the national level with all three branches of government, depending on how this election goes. And that would be a very bad day indeed. So let me... Let me stop you there for a second. So the critics of what you're saying, not the, not the, the I guess the pro critical race theory people say, but isn't it the right thing to do? Because these people have been downtrodden and it got an unfair advantage. And why shouldn't we do this? And if you listen to, let's use Joe Biden as an example and his, his ilk, uh, they keep feeding the monster. You know, I, I, I was at a uh, fire. You know, we were doing a fire uh, for a group gathering a couple weeks ago. And the person lighting the fire just kept putting a little bit of lighter fluid on the fire. Well, then they kind of weren't paying attention and squeezed it hard, and it lashed out. I think the, the fear is you keep giving and giving and giving. You keep playing to these, these feelings and fears and suddenly it's out of your control. You know, there's a controlled burn and then there's a raging inferno you can't control, a la California. What I see happening is I see politicians catering to these groups who are not your friend, but you consider them the enemy or the friend of my or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. 
they're not your friend. They will turn on you as soon as they've devoured somebody else and come back at you. You cannot give them enough. You cannot give them all they want because they always want more than you can ever offer. And we keep seeing this repeated over and over and over. It just gets it gets tiresome, but I, it's very dangerous, in my opinion, that that we keep forgetting what they're actually after. If you listen to the BLM people, full-on Marxists, they're not hiding it. It's right there in the open. It's not being reported that way, but they're right there in the open. They want to burn it down and start over with them at the top. Now, I understand their desire to be at the top. Not that I'm at the top, but apparently based on my skin color, I appear to be at the top. But it becomes really, really hard for the average man on the street, let's talk about the man on the street again, to watch a group of pro athletes, predominantly black, tell us how disadvantaged they are as they're making $35 million a year or a million dollars a year. It, it doesn't resonate when I'm being told by these individuals that they are not getting the full advantage of American citizenship. And I'm going, wait a minute, you're going to make more this year than I'll make in my entire life, two or three lifetimes. I'm confused how you're disadvantaged and I'm advantaged somehow. Now they'll point to the police will stop me and uh, I'll be, I'll be asked for a receipt every time I go through a store. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. And that is unfortunate and it should not happen. But I, I, I guess this all came about in the early eighties, but there's been racism since the beginning of time, different groups sure. highly of themselves and thought less of others from the big, go back, if you just go to the Bible, there's the Israelites were superior to every other people on the planet. God told them they were special. They took it a little extreme sometimes, but they were special. But it came to the point where God said, no, you're not that special. You're still my chosen people, but you need to go to the Gentiles and tell them about me. That was anathema. What, what are you talking about? We, they're not Jews. We've always had That's this, correct. We've all always had this fallen humanity who whenever man tries to interpret, we fail. We fail miserably every single time we try to tell you what God's saying. God's already tell, told us what he wants. Told us how you've got the book. It's right there. 66 books. You can read them. Why do we continue to say, well, you know, if I read this here or that there, I, I want to read some of what our friend had here because I think it's, it's alarming to me what he wrote. And I think there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. So the first thing he said is critical race theory affirms that racism is an ordinary or common part of everyday life. I take, okay. some, I take some issue with that because I don't think it's a common for every person. Well, it's not ordinary for I every think- person. It exists. I think that we can we can all say that racism will always be with us. It's part of the human condition, and as you properly pointed out, it um, it doesn't discriminate based on skin color. All races, creeds can be racist. So, to the extent that our friend is suggesting, for instance, that those who are opposed to critical race theory are denying that racism exists, of course, that's ridiculous. We will never be free of racism because we live in a fallen world, and that is part of a fallen world, that there is enmity between people for a variety of reasons, including uh, based on skin color. Okay, I agree. Uh, Second, critical race theory affirms that since white people benefit from such systemic racism, 
they will not have the incentive to do anything about it. Even shock events like George Floyd and uh, Jacob Blake do not lead to long-term sustained anti-racism. So Okay, so let's stop there yep. because he's, he's, of course, trying to steal several bases. <laughs> First of all, I would, make him, I would make him stop and say, please be very specific in what you mean because he's accepting this as an axiom mm-hmm. that systemic racism exists. What does that mean? Now, it, it means something different than just the mere acknowledgement that, yes, among us, all of us potentially have the potential to be racist and racist are among us. No, no. When you add systemic, that means something else entirely. And of course he doesn't bother to define that. He just accepts that as being true Mm -hmm. and then reaches his conclusion based on that foundation. So we can come back to this, but I want to know whenever I hear the term systemic racism, I would always ask somebody, please explain exactly what you mean by that. So go ahead, keep on reading what our friend has to say. Okay. Third, critical race theory affirms that race race is socially constructed. This means that the racial categories we use are not biologically determined, but invented by human beings. I don't know that I disagree with that totally. We, we determine race based on what we've determined race to be, you know, and it, yeah, the only, right. I think that's generally true. But again, when you, when you dig into this, for instance, one of the things that critical race theorists will absolutely not permit based on that initial premise is we can have no investigation whatsoever, no sociological, no scientific observation, for instance, of perhaps genetically uh, induced differences between the races. Okay, that's, that's just a verboten. So for instance, right. we're not allowed to write a book like the bell curve, which evaluates. And and by the way, that book has been completely misconstrued in the sense that the author of that book made no reach, no opinions about one race is inherently in superior, inferior. He simply charted data that suggested that along for certain qualities, we certain races exhibit certain characteristics. Well, we're not allowed to say anything like that anymore. But there is simply no way, there is simply no way for someone who supposedly takes science seriously to make the claim that there is absolutely no biological distinction between people of different races and ethnicities. That doesn't mean that we have to draw conclusions or agree on all the conclusions from that data, but to say that that is all a construct and that it doesn't exist even in the medical side of things, okay? For instance, what is, um, what is something that African-Americans typically exhibit in terms of susceptibility to disease that, that other races do not? Um, they have a higher incidence of you know, sickle cell anemia. They have a higher incidence of diabetes, although I think that's changing. I think whites are catching up to that as well. Uh, but they're, and they're they high blood things, pressure. Yes. Tend to be. Right. And there are other things, there are other things that other races, including whites, exhibit more of a a susceptibility to. You can even talk about just skin pigment alone, Mm -hmm. susceptibility to cancers, depending on your exposure to the sun. The point is, is that what a critical race theorist wants to do is say, you can't talk about any of that stuff 
because it's all, it, none of it is biological. All of it is a construct. And by the way, it completely distracts us from our only goal, which is overthrowing this inherently wicked power structure. So what it creates is, think about this in an academic setting, it just, it renders all manner of inquiry verboten because you just, you can't talk about these things. You're just not allowed. Right. Right. right? You're not, a, you're not allowed to talk about, for instance, well, when we see affirmative action in place, right, a, po- a program which intentionally discriminates on the basis of race, that is the definition of affirmative action, it simply discriminates against different races, meaning, in this case, whites and, ironically, Asians, who usually get the shortest end of the stick because they're the highest achievers. Right. And what it does, it says, we're going to give a leg up. Now, the interesting thing is what you're not allowed to point out is, well, as a result of affirmative action, and this has been peer-reviewed, this is not something you know, that's just sort of a theory. This is, these are peer-reviewed studies, something results called mismatch, where African-Americans in many instances who are elevated to a certain level uh, of school would have actually done much better without affirmative action if they had been placed in positions where they should have been based on merit. You're not allowed to talk about those findings either. That's also forbidden. The scriptures do not permit anyone to notice any of these things. <laughs> You're very right. You're very right. Uh, fourth, critical race theory affirms that no person has a single, easily stated, unitary identity. Would you like to define that for everybody, Tony? A unitary identity? Well, first of all, actually, I disagree with that statement by our friend because critical race theory absolutely says that we have a unitary, all-important, all-explaining, all-defining identity, which is our skin pigment. That is it. That's true. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know about a white person under critical race theory. So I'm not sure what our friend means by that. I think he has it backwards. Well, he he says, I'm a male, white, product of American working class, and a Christian. These different identities often mutually dependent on one another, and when taken together, make me a whole person. And here's where the term intersectionality is is thrown into the mix. Uh, and I'll define that for everybody. It's it's So if we look at... <laughs> Myself, uh, this gentleman, uh, white, Christian, male, working class. Uh, he's got four distinct groups that he's classifying himself. Where do those groups intersect? Meaning, where do they overlap? If you look at a Venn diagram, where do they overlap? That is his intersectionality. Now, unfortunately, none of those <laughs> criteria uh, put him in the desirable group as far as critical race theory goes. Uh, and it's real more about how many how many disadvantaged groups can you belong to and that f- therefore gives you the fifth one and that is that black people and other people of color are able to communicate to their white counterparts matters that whites are unlikely to know or in m- more broad terms they have moral superiority in which to tell you they're right you're wrong because they're in enough groups that are uh, disadvantaged therefore they get to tell you how things should be and you have to listen to them because they're disadvantaged. So if you're a homosexual right. black woman uh, raised by a single mother, then you've got four of those things going on. You're a single parent. Bam. You've got a lot to talk about. And everybody, according to Cordero Royce theory, should listen to what you have to say because you are a moral authority simply by existing. 
Now, where, where do we hear that? I should be accredited and I should be obeyed simply for existing. That sounds an awful lot like what you're claiming the white race is doing to you, but you exist, and therefore you get to tell me I'm wrong, you're right, and I need to do whatever you say because that's the only way to absolve yourself, even though you can never actually absolve yourself. You have to continue on a daily basis to absolve yourself, and then maybe I'll forgive you, but I probably won't, but you keep trying. Is that in a nutshell? Well, what's, what's, yeah, and what's remarkable to me about our friends incredibly watered down and, and, and frankly, disingenuous definition. I mean, this, because he is a very serious historian. And so for him to actually discuss this theory without addressing its Marxist roots, without addressing its refusal to accept any notion of absolute truth because everything is power structures, without addressing the idea that the only thing that matters is your membership in a particular group, which is completely at odds with the Christian gospel is somewhat stupefying to me. But as it relates to this intersectionality, also notice from a Christian perspective. So the only thing that matters, okay, it's not just your race. We have a few other categories. You're, you're a female, you're something else, right? You're, so you, you stack up these various memberships in different identities, but ultimately is that how, is that how we are to define ourselves? Is that what makes us a, an individual that has dignity? No. As a Christian, of course, our, again, we've touched on this. We are all created in the image of God. Every single person on the planet, our identity is in Christ. Now, even taking, let's just set aside for our list, some of our listeners that aren't Christians and say, that's nice. But let's just look at the, um, sort of insidious effect of thinking about people, again, based on identities. We've focused on race because that is the main driver, but what does that even mean? And, and you notice this sort of uh, the way that people speak now, which drives me crazy. Before they start talking, they say, well, as a person of et cetera, et cetera, you know, as a non-binary female yeah. whatever, LGBTQ, right? So what does that have to do with anything? All of these characteristics, again, have nothing to do with the content of your character, do they? They're just, they're just random markers. You're a woman, you're a man. What does that mean in isolation, in evaluating somebody? Should it mean anything? Should no. It? No. Should it? Should it, it, the fact that you're black or you're Asian in isolation, what do those two things mean about somebody, somebody's character, somebody's heart? Nothing, Com completely irrelevant. Nope. And so what, what seems to be missed here, and you, you've noticed, for instance, the media playing up this idea of the rise of the alt-right, right? <laughs> and, and look, look, there are extremists of that type. But here's the point. What they seem to be missing is if you've created a world in which the only thing that defines you and the only thing that entitles you to power and to empathy is your membership in a particular group, well, gee, that sounds really appealing to somebody like Richard Spencer and, in fact, <laughs> the KKK, right? Yeah. Because that was exactly 
the worldview that enslaved millions of African Americans, which was, I can look at you and you are subhuman to me because you don't belong in my group. And so all critical race theory has done is said, you know what? It's time to turn the tables. And now we're going to have exactly the same philosophy, only we're going to use it to justify the people that have been oppressed. But you know what? It's still the same theory. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. So I have to read a couple more lines from him because I I think your head might explode. Uh, He says, since Christians believe in human sin, agreed, we should have no problem embracing Christian, uh, critical race theory's affirmation of systemic racism. Agree? Disagree? How do you feel about that? Tony? Well, well, that's that's a complete non sequitur. And again, he refuses to define the term. If the term means, as Christians, we should be willing to accept that we live in a fallen world where there are many awful things that occur, man's inhumanity to man, and one of those things is racism then that's that's an easy agreement but he he keeps obfuscating what he means because if i were to were to ask our friend well what exactly do you mean by systemic racism and i think he would probably hem and haw because i'm not sure he wants to define that but here's what i'll tell you what critical race theory means when it says systemic racism it means that every single thing in our world, every relationship, every business structure, every political system, everything is at heart racist. There is nothing that can escape the taint of omnipresent racism. For instance, you see this in the 1619 Project from the New York Times. Our listeners may be familiar with this, which attempted to reframe the country's founding from 1776, well, that was no good because it's about a bunch of white slavers, right? right. It, to 1619, which was when the first African-American slaves were brought here. And the interesting thing about all of the essays in that it's not a curriculum, it's just a, it's a bunch of ideological screeds, is the idea, and in fact, they made this explicit, every single thing, I think I'm almost very quoting this verbatim, every single thing that is exceptional about America is grounded in slavery mm-hmm. slash racism. Mm-hmm. Now, note, I mean, and, and by the way, our friend, mm-hmm. he was all about that. Oh, yeah. As a historian. Yep. So when he says it should be easy for Christians to accept systemic racism, what I would say is no, if by that you mean that every aspect of society is defined by, is tainted by, is essentially filled with racism, then no, I, I completely reject that. That, that. And that is not that is not a Christian doctrine, and that is not a doctrine that's even reflective of actual reality. I don't disagree. Uh, he makes a statement, critical race theory's emphasis on storytelling is something Christians should value. The Christian tradition is full of men and women telling stories of suffering, sin, and redemption. When black people tell their stories of encounters with racism— it should provoke empathy in the hearts of white Christians. We understand the power of testimony. So what I would say is critical wow. race emphasis on storytelling is something Christians value. Yes. CRT's emphasis guess, is the same as they both use words, but they mean different things. Uh, what 
storytelling? Well, Are you serious? Well, again, so so again, this is so this is incredibly facile. The level oh. of generality we're talking at here, because what I would immediately ask is, well, tell me what the story is, and I'll tell you whether or not I have an objection to it, because I can think of a whole bunch of stories that are told by a whole bunch of people that Christians probably wouldn't agree with. Right. So, so again, by framing it that way, he doesn't have to specify, well, what stories is critical race theory telling us about humanity, about the nature of relationships, about the nature of truth, which remember doesn't really exist about the possibility of, of redemption, right? Tell me the actual stories and then we should adjudicate whether or not those stories are consistent with a Christian worldview. Because just throwing out there, hey, it's a flannel graph. You guys like all those stories about the Old Testament. Right. You should like these stories too. Yes. Well, again, maybe I'm sure our friend wouldn't agree that if you flip on HBO, that every story that's being told there is something that you might want your children to hear before they go to bed. Yeah, right? So. Probably not. So that 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 is that is again an evasion, um, and this is from somebody who is much smarter than that. And the reason that he's evading is because it's very uncomfortable to talk about the actual details of what critical race theory believes. Let me let me finish his screed, and that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, he said, "Of course, stories can be manipulated for selfish or political ends, and personal experience does not, does not always translate." To experience on a subject. In the end, if critical race theorists can teach me something I don't know about, how I may have benefited from white oppression, even if I may not commit an overt act of racism, or how to have greater solidarity with my black brothers and sisters, why wouldn't I want to consider it? Well, that seems so great, doesn't it, Tony? I'm just sitting here listening. We should listen more and talk less because they've got something to say, and we should listen to what they have to say. And when you didn't get pulled over by the cops this morning driving to work, you experienced white privilege, and you should do something to get you pulled over by the cops, I guess. That's what they're saying. Or should I, – I don't know what they want to happen there. So what do you think about that? Well, well, there's a couple points. So first of all, um, I absolutely agree that every person, including – and perhaps most importantly, including uh, the church, the evangelical church, should be very willing to uh, prioritize listening to people rather than lecturing to them and judging them. That's absolutely true. And it's certainly for me, um, as somebody who likes to express my opinion about things, something that, yeah, I, I, need to be, I need to be wary of. You know what? Maybe it's not time for you to talk. Maybe it's time for you to hear what someone is saying. So that's absolutely true, and that that is something that should guide any any Christian, in fact, any individual who wants to have a, a real relationship with somebody else. If you're not willing to listen to people, you're not willing to hear their experiences, even if you ultimately disagree with them, then you're not really in relationship with them. Okay. Now here's the so here's the irony. A few things here. Just because we are willing to listen to somebody and to hear their stories. And, and I think we need to also distinguish between two things here. There's one, it's one thing to say, I want to listen to this individual's story, the things that have happened to them, their heartbreak, the things that they've experienced as an African-American, which 
I would readily accept are things that I probably can't understand because there is racism in the world. There are ways that people treat African-Americans or other minorities differently. There's no question about that. So I certainly am in no position to tell someone who is indicating to me, this is what happened to me. This is the way that I was mistreated. And, and to say to them, well, you obviously got that wrong, right? That really wasn't what, what was happening to you. I can't, I can't speak into or in any way critique their lived experience, okay? Nor could anyone say the same thing to me. But I want to distinguish between that type of listening and what Dr. Fia, our friend, keeps conflating, which is, and we're also apparently supposed to sit silently when we're presented with this theory. This isn't a life experience. These are truth claims by these people who are, for instance, telling you, Chad, Chad, you need to listen to me because what I'm telling you is that because you are a white man, you are a racist misogynist by definition. Right. Now, if what he means is, well, we also need to listen to that, I'm fine to listen to that, and we really need not point out that that is both untrue and fallacious and hypocritical and problematic on multiple levels, I'm not really willing to engage in that sort of listening because there needs to be an open dialogue. Respect means that you get to discuss these things and push back. And our friend in other contexts likes to talk about speaking truth to power, right? He's all <laughs> about speaking truth and standing up for what he believes and more power to him. That's what any Christian should be willing to do. But for some reason, that ethic doesn't seem to apply here. Right. And I think we know why. Well, yes, of course. Uh, I, I want to get to some of the questions that we were asked uh, by one of our listeners, and these are very deep. So <laughs> when I say them, I'll give some definition so the listeners know what we're talking about. Um, how does critical race theory and the doctrine, doctrine of total depravity intersect? And for those of you who are not theologians, I know we've got a couple who listen, uh, total depravity is effectively starts that when people, as a result of the fall, not inclined or even able to love God wholly and with heart, mind, and strength, but rather inclined by nature to serve their own will and desires and reject his rule. Okay? Uh, that intersects with Calvinism and the five points of Calvinism. Uh, it's basically, do we have free will to pursue God, or is it preordained uh, where you fall, and that is your own personal belief, and I'm not here to to tell you one way or the other in that. Uh, where do you think critical race theory falls with that premise, uh, Tony? Um, well, my response to that would be that I think a lot of people would, and our friend would potentially say this, is that, oh, see, this is how, this is another way that critical race theory is in harmony with theological truth, meaning it understands that everywhere, right? Everywhere is racism. We're all fallen. We're all depraved. But as I pointed out, it is a very selective depravity. And it is a depravity that is not predicated on our existence as human beings who are fallen. It is only predicated on what group are you in? Because if you don't, if you're part of the oppressed group, which again, all we care about here is power, power structures, then by definition, you are not 
depraved. You are not fallen. You are not a racist and you are not a sinner in need of redemption. You are justified. And the only people that are fallen and depraved are those in the other group that currently has power that must be overthrown. So I would say it intersects with the notion, the concept of total depravity in sort of a selective and distorted way that is, again, fundamentally unchristian. Okay. Uh, how does separation called for in critical race theory not count as racism? I think we really talked about that. It is yeah. racism. We, it it does around. count. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, please explain whiteness as a pro- property I- idea in critical race theory. If you're white, you're wrong. Effectively, you're, you're the bad guy in every sense of the word because you've benefited from things you didn't even know you benefited from because you're white. Uh, and you can't change it, and you can only try to absolve yourself of it, but you'll never actually do it. Basically, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And notice, again, we've mentioned this, is that it has absolutely nothing to do with your own conduct, your own heart, your own actions. Those things are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And that's why you use the phrase, Chad, have you heard the, have you heard the term Kafka trap? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard that? I have. I have. So, Bert. Right. So very quickly, for those who are listening, uh, Franz Kafka, uh, one of his more famous books uh, is called, I think, The Trial. And it's basically this this very it's like a horrific dream world where a man is on trial and there's nothing that he can do, no matter what he says, uh, no matter what the evidence is, he, he can never he can never actually be proven innocent. And this is the nature of critical race theory, which is it's unfalsifiable. You either agree that you are a racist by virtue of your sinful skin pigment, or if you don't agree, your disagreement proves that you're a racist. So yeah. it is it is a it is a Kafka trap in the sense that and, and by the way, a Kafka trap is something that is uh, irrational. It's a logical fallacy, and it, it is something that indicates that your theory. Uh, is is not substantiated by anything that we would consider to be truth, because anything that is unfalsifiable like that, it, it's a game. It's you're you're being. There's a reason for that because they don't want anyone to be able to say, "Wait a minute, I don't fall within that category." Stop telling me that my character is something other than what it is, and their response is, they don't want to have that discussion. It's simply, no, the fact that you disagree with what we're telling you means that we've proven that you're a witch, right? That's how it works. Right. Uh, it basically, you know, you're accused of something and your denial is taken as evidence that it's true. You know, you drink too much, therefore you're an alcoholic. No, I'm not. That proves it. An alcoholic would say they don't drink too much. Beating your wife, whatever yeah. you want to do. It's, it's, a, it's a straw man canard that you can't get out of. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's it's we we had we had critical witch theory, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Um, the Inquisition, the Inquisition would have fully embraced the methodology oh, yeah. of critical race theory. Yeah. The notion of it doesn't matter what you say, whatever you say further proves what we've already identified you as being. Well, just for reference, the witch theory, meaning if we put you underwater and you don't drown, but we say you're a witch, then it proves you're a witch. And if you do drown, well, sorry, but you're still dead. It doesn't matter uh, what we do. You're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. 
Uh, her last two are, does critical, how does critical race feminism compare to critical race theory and how many critical race things should we plan on? And I would say <laughs> every one of them. <laughs> think of it. It's probably absolutely of it. Uh, and it's think, an infinite number. And I think, yeah, I touched on this earlier, which is all of these, this, you know, feminism, any of the gender studies, all of this stuff all comes from the same root. It's all the same theory just applied. And, and note, feminism, it's just another category of identity. So you can create as many of these categories as you want and then view the world through that lens. Race, gender, sex, doesn't matter. Yeah, they all fit. It doesn't matter. And her last question is, um, sorry, he or she, I don't want to imply. Uh, are you aware that critical race theory was created by lawyers? And I was not until I looked it up, but yes, it was. <laughs> well, I think, isn't that, isn't that, a, well, I don't know that, it, I mean, Completely I think one of the names that I recall, there's a guy named Derek Bell, um, who I think is one of the guys, I think he's, a, he's at Harvard, um, who's, who's known as sort of the, the father of this in certainly in America. Um, yeah. I think it's hard to pinpoint it just to, to him and a bunch of other lawyers, because again, it's, it's roots go back literally 50, 60, 70 years. Um, yes. The way that it's been modernly interpreted as critical race theory is probably, but, but it's been percolating in academic circles for decades. I would agree. So, I, I, I mean, yeah. you're right. I, I, I don't know who there, there, let's put it this way. There would probably be a hundred different people who would claim that they were sort of the, uh, the author of this theory. But, but I agree. Many of the leading proponents of this were lawyers. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it's not that, I don't know that it was a wholly unique thought. Maybe it was uniquely portrayed and uniquely put together, but I, I agree. It's probably been uh, thought about for quite some time, but they, they say 1988 Harvard with, Dr. Uh, Professor Bell. So you're right. Uh, that was all the questions we had. Anything else you want to add to that uh, discussion at all? No, I don't know. I hope I hope that wasn't too uh, that wasn't too boring. But we had we had promised to kind of dig into this. Yeah. And I guess the one thing that I would add in in sort of concluding is if you think, for instance, that you know, look, what are you getting so worked up about? Okay. There's all sorts of wacky academic theories and, um, it's not a big deal. And, and you know what? It sounds like it has some merit, so that's fine. And you know what? That tends to be, that's kind of our friend's view, which is what's the harm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's helping us, it's helping us get to certain important truths about the world. Yeah. That's great. Except its entire framework is anti-Christian and not even the, and, that's, of course, of fundamental importance. But also, um, if the goal, if the goal, the stated goal of all of these movements is racial reconciliation, um, it's certainly a goal that should be a goal for Christians. That, that's, that's absolutely one of the things that only the gospel can do, right? right. But if, you, the, if the stated goal is racial healing, racial reconciliation. The issue, the main issue for me as someone who's evaluated this, who's a Christian is not really about your, you know, you're just a white man and you're defensive because you're part of the patriarchy and you are holding on to your existing power, whatever. Okay. No, no. My problem with it is that it is incredibly 
and inextricably counterproductive to its purposes because it can only divide by very definition the way that it views the world, the way that it segregates people into identity groups. If that is the basis for any part of a ministry that is supposed to promote racial healing, it will create the opposite. And so anyone who wants to be, to use the current vernacular, an ally, right? Anyone who seriously wants to support that mission should have very grave issues with using critical race theory in any way to promote that kind of outreach. I would agree with that. And I think much like anything else, the human hand touches it distorts and destroys the truth, and I think this is one more example of that in, in my view, that we're taking what should be, yes, we should look out for our brothers and sisters, and we should not discriminate against them, and we should not uh, be racist towards them, and we should not uh, you know, keep them down while we're trying to keep ourselves up. All, all those things, in theory, sound good. It's, it's what it truly actually means in practice and what they're trying to portray, and, and the fact that you... you can't you can't ever not be what you are so it's inherently racist to say that i'm bad because i'm white just like it would be bad for me to say you're bad because you're black that's that's insane and in, in today's day and age that why is it okay for one group to say another group is inherently bad simply based on their skin color that right there to me should invalidate most of the rest of what you're talking about because frankly, it's anachronism to what we're trying to accomplish, your reconciliation, as you spoke about. This is not reconciliation when you tell one group you can never be good. You can never get over what you've done. And even if you didn't do it, just simply by existing, you are evil. And therefore. But again, yes, that's true. But again, just so that people understand this, the filter through which a critical race theorist is looking at this has nothing to do with individual responsibility or morality or conduct. Sure. Again, their only focus, and that's why I say it's not actually about racism. Racism is simply a byproduct of what they claim to be power structures. And so if you define racism as all pervasive because it's in everything. And the only thing that matters is identifying which groups wield power and which groups don't have power. Your Chad, your objection, while it's very well taken and it's true, is meaningless to them. Sure. Because they don't care about I don't I actually don't think that way about people. I don't I don't behave that way. I don't have I may have other sins, right? But in other words, I've never engaged in active or even latent racism towards a brother or sister, that that completely passes by them mm -hmm. because it's irrelevant to their theory of how the world works, and it's also irrelevant to your guilt. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't have to feel guilty for me to be guilty. Effectively, that's right. And and in fact, you don't even have to you don't even have to do anything. Yeah, what you, your existence as a white male places you within a power structure that is by definition exhibiting and perpetuating racism. That's all there is. There is no, there's no other response that's acceptable. Yeah. It's uh, uh, 
it, it's a frightening prospect if that's the worldview in which you find yourself. Um, and that, you know, our friend is welcome to his opinion, but I reject his as an accurate re- representation of the world. And I, I'm sorry he feels that way. Well, I guess the only thing I would say is that his, and, and he's not alone in this. No, I mean, not. this is something he's that not. the Christian church has to, the Christian church has to come to terms with is that this has become increasingly accepted. This is something, and this sort of terminology is by osmosis is just sort of being thrown around. And again, my challenge to those who are interested in racial healing and they should, we should be, and, and those who are disgusted by actual racism, which we should be, particularly those who are followers of Christ, need to ask ourselves, is this doctrine, is this theory something which is going to help our gospel witness in bringing about a world that is more reflective of Jesus Christ? And my answer to that question is, definitely no. So, you know, you're right. There's others that differ with that and others that would say you don't get it and that you're just, um, you know, you're a white male who's mansplaining and doesn't understand any of this and you're demonstrating the fact that you live in your cultural bubble and that's all well and good. But if you actually ask somebody who understands what this theory is, who's a proponent of it, if you think that I've overstated what they believe, I would simply encourage you to read, go read White Fragility, go read the BLM website, go read articles that are proponents of this theory in a serious way, and there's, there is no getting around the fact that these are the things that they believe. You might have to drag it out of them because they never want to talk about it. They want to talk about generalities. Who could be against anti-racism, right? Why would you, it wasn't, Chad, wasn't that the question that Chris Wallace asked Trump at the debate yes. when he was asking him about why he had a limit? Like, sir, who could, who could be against, uh, you know, sort of racial understanding or, and, and see, again, that's a dishonest framing. If you only get to that description, it tells you nothing about what this, this worldview actually means. It's not about Oh, sure. Yeah. Racism is bad. Everyone can agree with that. That's not what this is about. No, and that's, that's tough. That's tough. I hope we haven't done a disservice. This is something a couple people had asked us about, and I really wanted to talk about it previously, but uh, I hope we didn't confuse the issue. If we brought up questions. Well, by the way, if if we confuse the issue, that would be me confusing the issue. I could have too. I I blathered on the most. Uh, That's okay. I'll take, equal blame on that because i i set some things up uh but if you have questions or you have comments uh 717-739-5432 717-739-5432 let us hear what you have to say i i don't think we're the end all and be all of any topic we discuss we have opinions and we share them if you disagree or agree please let us know and if it's clean the only we'll the only uh yes the only end all and be all that i am is of uh any debate relating to Michael Jordan, I am the final say. And and any debate, any debate relating to condiments, which are all bad, I am also the final say on that. Other than that, we have a lot to learn. And I would, in particular, because I like a good, vigorous, 
frank and open exchange of ideas. Anyone who wants to push back and say, Tony, you really did a disservice to that. You're missing the point. You've uh, misstated. You've obfuscated. Whatever. Have at it. And then we'll uh, we'll deal with that next time. Well, that's fair. And um, LeBron James won his fourth championship with his third team. He's still not the greatest of all time. Don't tell me the debate settled because no, he did three teams. I don't care how many teams he did it with. Can I, yes. Can I, can I make a very quick, uh, I, sure. I want to very briefly touch on a sports thing. So one of the things that I have been so greatly enjoying, um, now I will say, even though the NBA is basically dead to me, and we've talked about why, because they've gone full social justice, uh, it's, it's just intolerable, right? But, we did watch a few, my son and I, Riley, who's, um, he's big into basketball. So, uh, he plays and he enjoys watching. So we did watch some of the games, but I am, I am greatly enjoying the fact that the NBA ratings for the finals, uh, Chad, have you been yes. reading anything about this? Yes. They are, they are the worst television ratings by orders of magnitude in the history of the league. I mean, literally, Embarrassing. I, I will give you an example just so you can juxtapose this. Michael Jordan's last championship title with the Chicago Bulls, which was championship number six, drew 36 million viewers. Now, fast forward to, and remember, these finals involved the anointed one, the heir, the supposed heir to Jordan, LeBron James, the, the halo athlete in the league, and the Lakers his team, which is one of the two greatest franchises in league history in terms of championships, along with the Celtics, the, on average, these finals drew about 5 million viewers, <laughs> 36 million, 5 million, mm-hmm. 5 million is basically Tucker Carlson's audience. <laughs> now that is now look, I, I don't say that to slam Tucker Carlson. He's the yeah. highest rated uh, opinionator, but the point is, this is a disaster. And Adam Silver, who is the uh, successor to David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, and he is woke beyond woke, and he has allowed the inmates to run the asylum, and he has been waving his pom-poms for all of this BLM stuff for the entire season. I think somebody, one of his scurrying interns, finally handed him uh, the ratings sheets for the televised finals. And I think he was also getting calls from his business partners who have ponied up billions, right. To, to televise the NBA and Adam silver the other day, I forget who was interviewing him kind of let slip. You know what? Um, I think next season, most of this stuff is going to be off the court. <laughs> yeah. I saw so that. that even, was awesome. even poor, even poor Adam Eternally woke Mr. Silver has, I think, had a harsh reality check that if you don't pull out of the nosedive, your your league in another year is going to be drawing the same ratings as the WNBA. And just trust me, that's not where you want to be. No, it is not. <laughs> and I, I think he, he did his woke dance and now he's going uh yeah we still got a business to run <laughs> we can't we can't uh, keep doing this this is not going to work out so yeah and a final point because yeah. i need to point this out this is a league that is eternally vigilant about injustice and hey listen 
more power to these athletes if they want to use a so, their own social platforms, their own foundations. That's great. But here's the thing. This league is on the Olymp- Mount Olympus of hypocrisy where they still will not say a peep about, and Chad, who is the NBA's largest and most lucrative business partner? That would be what? China? There you go. So these guys who want to get worked up, and that's, again, that's fine. They want to talk about racial injustice in America. You know what? There is racial injustice in America. That's fair enough. But on the other hand, they don't have a thing to say about a communist dictatorship that right now is has in labor camps what a million Uyghur Muslims yep. who 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 imprisons dissidents who kills political dissidents yep. who has no human rights to speak of and yet because they need their wallets to be fat they don't have anything to say, but you can hear sermons all day long from people like Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich and LeBron all about the evils of America and the Kaiser Donald Trump and how their lives are awful and how America is this, this terrible human rights dystopia. And when you ask them about China or even ask them about, let's say, Hong Kong, yeah. eh, we'll yeah. pass we need to do a little bit of more research on that. Okay. Well, I, I don't want to listen to any of that. I, I would point out, and this has been pointed out by other people, the fact that you have the right to criticize our government tells you you're not being oppressed as the Chinese are being oppressed. So the fact that you can do all these things and complain about all these things and how it's awful and BLM can do whatever they the fact that you can accomplish that tells you you're not being oppressed. So Donald isn't the Kaiser. He's not a totalitarian government. You're not being oppressed in the way, in the same way that other peoples are across the world. So I, I have no sympathy for you when you can't see, you're pointing out the splinter in my eye as you've got that giant moat in your eye. Sorry, you got a, you got a two by four sticking out and I'm sorry. I, I don't accept that. Oh, and the, be- the best part, the best part uh, relating to China so, Chad, did you did you see the news about some of the new members of the UN Human Rights Commission <laughs> or Council? Uh, yeah, sure. So, so tell tell the listeners who now again, this is the UN Council that is supposed to be the the global watchdog for human rights. It's a very serious, very serious endeavor. So, who who just rejoined? They they've already been past members, but who just got reappointed to uh, the Human Rights Council? Russia and China? <laughs> the, uh, four of the countries include Russia. Now, remember, I, I don't know. I'm re- I thought I was reliably informed that Russia is, is the war. You know, it's, it's Palpatine. Putin, Russia, bad. I think I learned that over the last four years from all the smartest people, right? So right. it's Russia who, you know, Polonium 220 assassination of political dissidents. Yeah, that's groovy. China, we just talked about China. Cuba, <laughs> Cuba still has people in political prisons. It's a, a communist country. And Pakistan, mm-hmm. noted for its religious liberty and overall pluralism. <laughs> Don't forget Afghanistan, Angola, the Congo, uh, Qatar. I mean, we're talking about some of the openest of the open, are we not? Right. I mean, and it's... then, and what they will do, 
what they will do is they always do is there they will get very busy. They will get very busy and they will issue countless resolutions against Israel <laughs> because that's that's the only thing they exist to do is to basically, you know, the anti-Semitic impulse uh, runs deep at the U.N. My favorite quote about the U.N., which is completely apt, we shouldn't even participate. It is a wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. It's completely useless. And if you don't believe that, just get a good laugh out of the fact that some of the worst regimes in the world are chairing the U.N.'s mission on human rights. Don't All right. Venezuela as well. <laughs> yes. Well, that's that's. Listen, it's a good economic model. At least that's what I've been told. <laughs> well, again, we're told that we should we should be part of the world community. But if this is the group we should be part of, I I want no part of it. So you can have it. I'm I'm out. U U S out on that one. So that's all we got tonight. We've gone really long, but I hopefully we gave you some things to think about and some things to question. And, and as our friend would like to say, it's always good to have knowledge so that you can question what you think. Well, hopefully we did that tonight in a little bit. Uh, anything else to add, Tony? Nope. I, uh, I welcome some questions to make me rethink. I probably won't, but we'll, uh, we'll at least talk about them. That's uh, so That's I think I'm all done. Okay. I talked more than like three, three episodes in one. Yeah, so it's okay. It's, it's uh, they save it up and the quality was intermittent. So hopefully they got most of what you said. Uh, I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.